Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, old sports, and welcome to episode 10 of the Hello, Old Sports podcast on the Sports History Network. This week, we pick up on the conversation we were having last week about the history of Army football and talk about Army versus Navy, one of college football's oldest and most storied rivalries. Enjoy. A great American tradition, the Army-Navy game on CBS. So why don't we segue now into the Army-Navy game? And I, I was going to say that's the thing that Jeff Munkin has done that has really turned the program around is that he's beaten Navy. Now, they lost last year, correct? They did, but before that, they had won three years in a row. Um, and we were at the third the, of three. We were at the third one. So we'll, we'll rewind it all the way back, and then we'll go from there. First game, like we mentioned, was Army-Navy in 1890. Navy was victorious. The game actually only started being continuously played in 1930. So they've played every year since 1930. Played a lot, even between 1890 and 1930, but there were a few years that the game didn't take place. I'm just pulling the exact uh, years up just so I can get that accurate. They played, yeah, from every year from 1890 to 93. Then they played every year from 1899 until 1916. And then they didn't play during World War II, 17 or 18, and then skipped 1929 and then have played continuously every year since 1930. It is traditionally the last game of the college football regular season. For a long time, it was a standalone game. And then as other schools added conference championship games, it was getting crowded out. So they pushed the Army, back, Army Navy back yet another week to where outs, not this year, but other years, it is once again the standalone game in the second Saturday in December. It's the only Division One college, Division One A college football game that day. Traditionally played at a neutral site, usually in Philadelphia, and the reason for that just being as simple as the fact that it was halfway, roughly between Annapolis and West Point. Although there were certainly years it was at different venues, some of which we'll talk about. And for a very long time, and continuously for about forty years, it was held at what became known as JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, and. The th interesting thing about JFK Stadium in Philadelphia is that it was used for almost nothing else. It was not where the Eagles played. It was not where the Phillies played. There was not even really big-time college football games there for the most part. But it was basically, it was a huge venue, and it was essentially used for nothing but the Army-Navy game and maybe a rare concert or high school football game for a good 30 years. That was all it was, was... was the home of the Army-Navy game. Yeah, just some sort of interesting other sort of notes. Mm. It hasn't been played on the campus of either school since 1943. It was in Annapolis in 1942 and then at West Point in 1943. For... It, it might have been at Annapolis again in 44. Oh, you may be right. You may I, be right I think Annapolis that. ended up getting two, but then by 45 the war was over and they, they moved it back to a uh, 
Yeah, but anyway, Sid, the point still stands. So it hasn't been at West Point since 43, uh, and then it will be this year. And it's sort of an interesting situation because it's – correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Navy football field is not technically on the campus of the Naval Academy, so it's not considered federal land, so they wouldn't be able to have the game there, but they can at West Point. Is that right? Well, from what I understand for this year, A, it's Army's home game anyway. So if they were going to play it at one of them, they would be more likely to play it at West Point. But from what I understand, had this been a Navy home game this year, they may still have had to play it at West Point because they want to get all the cadets and all the midshipmen there. And that's when you go, you realize just the scale of that, which is that every cadet from the school is at that game. And they do a march on at the beginning that takes up, they do both academies, it takes up the whole field from end zone to end zone in their specific companies um, with those. And I mean, now the state of Pennsylvania is not allowing any fans in games, but for a little while they had capacity limits. The cadets and the midshipmen would put them over that. So they want to be able to have all of them, even if they have no other fans. So they went to West Point, but yeah, from what I understand, the, the, I think it's called Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, isn't technically on the base itself. So there would have been some dodgy issues with the governor of the state or whatever. West Point, the stadium, is in the middle of the campus, so it's entirely the purview of the federal government. Now, I've always debated that theoretically, could we have an issue if the governor decided to block the roads on the way into the stadium? But there's been no indication that's going to happen. We talked a lot about some of the early games. There was a game in 1926 where... They both went in very, very highly ranked, and it was at. This was an interesting game also because it was at Chicago. It was at Soldier Field. It was the christening, basically, of Soldier Field in Chicago, and they went in. and I believe Navy was undefeated, and Army had just tied Notre Dame, and there was a good chance that the winner of that game would be declared the national champions. They tied. Navy ended up winning the national championship. 1926 in front of 110,000 spectators in Soldier Field in Chicago, dedicated to all those lost fighting for America in World War I. Both teams were dominant. Navy had lost only once to Notre Dame. Navy was undefeated. 21-21, Navy ended up winning the national championship. 1944, you talked about the game of the century, where Army wins 23-7 to lock up the national championship that year. The United States Military and Naval Academies meet at Baltimore for the football contest of the year, Army versus Navy. Army Chief of Staff, General Marshall. Air Force's Chief, General Arnold. Commander of the Fleet, Admiral King. They are among the 67,000 spectators. The Army cadets are first to take their places, and the Navy midshipmen give them a cheer. the army mule. Navy men serenade the army's mascot. Over 58 million dollars in war bonds are bought by spectators. The kickoff, opening the 45th annual game between the service teams. Blanchard kicks for army, 
taken by Navy Scott for a long run back. Navy's ball. Hamburg completes a pass to Scott. Hamburg carries the ball to Army's four-yard line, and Scott plunges over for a Navy score. Fourth period. With Blanchard leading the attack, Army runs roughshod over Navy for its first victory since 1938. Blanchard crosses the goal line to put Army far in front. Again, with a pass from Lombardo to Davis, Army strikes for a third touchdown. Army wins 23-7 as the perfect climax to an undefeated, untied season. To say Army went in number one, Navy went in number two, considered the de facto national championship and ultimately end up deciding the national champion. Like you said, it's almost always held in Philly. The occasion, I think the last time they were in the New York area was, what, 2002, I think? So I know it's been outside of the um, the one in, in Chicago, and then there was one in the 80s in Los Angeles because the Rose Bowl, I guess, the whoever is the management or the owners of the Rose Bowl at the time, was willing to pay to ship all of the cadets and all of the midshipmen out there and stay, so they were willing to move it there for that. But by general rule, it's mostly in Philadelphia. It's actually been in Baltimore a good amount lately. But what I, from what I understand, is they basically these days block it out in in groups of ten, like or seven or eight to ten year increments. So this next ten year run, they're all in Philadelphia except for once, or they were originally planned to all be in Philadelphia. Yeah. Next year's game is going to be at MetLife Stadium because uh, the 20-year anniversary of September 11th. So they've decided that game would be in North Jersey, but every other one in that run is in Philadelphia. But, you know, in the modern era, you've seen some in Baltimore. You've seen actually one in, in the D.C. area uh, at FedEx Field where the, the Washington team plays. Certainly MetLife is in the mix due to being a little closer, but those are really what you're talking about. You, when you get sort of ambitious, you think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if they played a game at Yankee Stadium or something like that? But the fact is they fill up an 80,000-seat football stadium, so they're unlikely to ever have it anywhere but NFL stadiums barring a global pandemic where they're having it at, at Mikey Stadium. One quick note, I've been doing my research, in 1983, they went to the Rose Bowl. This is interesting because Army had still not yet played in any bowl games. They didn't do that till the mm-hmm. following year. So you wonder if going to the Rose Bowl and playing on the West Coast in a, what was in some ways a bowl game, if that maybe changed their thinking a little bit about the playing in a postseason bowl game. I also found out that Part of the whole arrangement for getting them out there to play that game was that they had one night where they closed Disneyland and the cadets and the midshipmen got and their families got to have mm-hmm. Disneyland all to themselves. So we went. Um, we went in 2018. It's a cool day. It's, it's a cool atmosphere. It's cold. So you have to sort of go in prepared for that. And between the security, especially if – the president's there, which the president was there the year that we went. You have to be ready for the security. Plus, there's so many things you want to see, the march-ons of the mm-hmm. students from the two schools. So you prepare yourself for a long day, but it's, it's definitely a cool thing to do at least once. Yeah, and I, I do have a couple more historic games I want to talk about. But, yeah, so – and the thing you got to also understand is what these academies do 
to make Army Navy special for the cadets. So basically the week of Army, as you can imagine, life on the military academies is pretty regimented. I think it gets overplayed a little because people tend to focus on, like when you first get there as a freshman, and, and there's actually, there was a Showtime special in 2010 that was really good where they followed the Army and Navy football teams throughout a season leading up to the Army-Navy game. And they show a lot of, for West Point it's called Our Day, which is when the freshmen, the incoming freshmen show up for the first time in late June. A lot of them had just graduated high school maybe a week earlier. And they show up and they basically have an eight-week what they call beast. It's like boot camp. You're being inducted into the military. And that gets a lot of coverage, and it's certainly interesting and kind of leaves you in awe of these 18-year-old kids who are voluntarily doing this. But they sometimes it gets painted as that's how everyday life is at the military academies, and certainly they have to be up. They have to have their shoes shine. They have to be in place for meals and go to classes and things like that. But it's not like they're in full metal jacket every day they're there. Well, if it was that terrible, they well, wouldn't be able to get anybody to do it. Ex- exactly. And especially because you can leave for the first two years. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... But essentially, they the weeks of the Army-Navy games, they loosen a ton of the rules on campus. So there's pep rallies every day. There's special meals every day. You know, you, you can see pictures of the, like, Army's, West Point's dining hall. It's called Washington Hall. It's this huge, like, gothic structure where every cadet eats breakfast and lunch. And there's, you can see this place just, like, looks like a rock concert with how pumped up people are and they're doing things. Evening after we were at the Army-Navy game two years ago, we took the subway back with a couple of cadets who were going back to where they were staying, and it was interesting to see up close the the full gray dress uniforms that the, the cadets wear for that game, and the Naval Academy obviously has the blue with the big brass buttons, and he was basically telling us that what happens, that this cadet was, it wasn't on the football team or anything, it was just a cadet, and what he was telling us is essentially the game's on Saturday, on Thursday at about 4 o'clock after they're done with classes, there are, they go on leave. And essentially what they're told is you can stay and take the bus up and back that day. The academy will provide that for you. Or you can get your way to wherever the game is, in this case Philadelphia, and essentially you're on your own until you have to be lined up for March on Saturday morning. And then after the game, when everybody leaves, you're on your own again, but you have to be back on base at 6 o'clock Sunday. So as you can imagine, this is a party atmosphere for a lot of them. Yeah. And basically, this you have to show up at 6 o'clock on Sunday and be in, like, you can't be hammered drunk on Sunday <laughs> on Sunday evening. And then they go right into finals. So this is seen as, like, a very big atmosphere for the cadets. Some of the traditions, they march on three hours before the game we talked about. They've done a really good job, especially in Philadelphia, that week where there's different events where they'll have throughout the city contests between the cadets and the midshipmen, which culminates in a an obstacle course in sort of the two hours between the march on and the game on the field. And then the famous tradition is the singing. So any Army game you go to or any service academy game you go to, win or lose, the team goes over and listens to the alma mater. It's a really cool experience. When it's a service academy game... They play both alma maters, and what they do is the losing team sings first, the winning team sings second. So a big motto is sing second. So you'll see, like, the game we were at when Army won, they go to one end of the field, They both teams all stand there respectfully, listen to the Navy alma mater, and then the Army players run over, pumped up to the other side, Munkin jumped into the crowd, <laughs> and then they all sing the Army alma mater, and the end of the Army, Ar- the West Point alma mater everybody yells, beat Navy. No matter who they just played, they yell, beat Navy. So after they just beat Navy, you can imagine that's pretty loud. So very cool. 
Let's talk about, I want to talk about recent history, and I know we want to wrap up soon, but one game we kind of need to touch on is uh, 1963. Obviously, in the wake of John Kennedy having been assassinated just a, a few weeks before, the game was postponed initially. I think his funeral was the day that the game was originally supposed to be played, but at the urging of Jackie Kennedy, they did play the game. John F. Kennedy you know, was a Navy veteran, was very famously at that game a few years before. I don't know if it was when he was president or right before he became president. He was at the game in uh, 19... It was sometime in the early 60s. So the game was played sort of with a country still in mourning. Now, did Kennedy start the tradition of the president sitting on one side for each half? My understanding is yes. So that's if the president is at the game, he sits with the cadets for the first half and then at halftime is marched over to midfield and the midshipmen take him or the other way around. Yeah. And he, so he sits with each side and they've always kind of famously said the president's the only one who's allowed to root for both teams. <laughs> President Kennedy assassinated on November 22nd, 1963. Football again battled protocols, whether or not to play the game. Members of the Kennedy family intervened and asked that the game be played, understood how much the game meant to the country and to President Kennedy. So it was played December 7th. At Municipal Stadium in Philadelphia, which was soon to be renamed JFK Stadium. Remember the day that I realized I didn't know it was something before JFK Stadium, even though it had been around since the 20s. <laughs> um, and it was a very classic game. Navy won, led by Roger Staubach. Navy was having one of their best seasons that they'd have. He was in his final season with Navy, and Navy wins, so obviously sort of a huge game for the country. And then just to wrap up, talking about some of the more recent games, despite neither team being very good, Army beat Navy in 2001, which was the you know post-9-11 game. I think Navy came in winless and Army wasn't much better. And then began a streak where Navy beat Army every year, more often than not, not in blowouts, although not entirely. I remember one game specifically in 2013, or it's 2012, excuse me. I was actually in Boston getting ready to go to a LaSalle basketball game. And it's forever known as the Trent Steelman game. Navy won 17 to 13, and Arm, but Army was driving late, and they were getting they had plenty of time to where they were have going to have a real good chance to score with not enough time on the clock for Navy to do anything. And Trent Steelman fumbled the ball. Uh, he was the Army quarterback. Navy recovered it, and ended up being able to just run the clock out and win. And that was sort of a well, if they're not going to win this game. Are they really ever going to win? Navy, you know, was a perennial bowl, uh, bowl team, while Army had fallen to the depths of going two and ten every year. Uh, but the streak was finally broken in 2016, when in Baltimore, when Army won 21 to 17 for their first win after having lost would have been 14 straight, I guess, from 20 from 2002 until 2015 army finally won in a great game where they had to pick up a first down late to get it and as soon as it happened the announcers were it was Vern Lundquist's last game on CBS and you remember them just saying this is over and then the next year in the snow army happened to be wearing their snow and that's another thing that's become a tradition of the game in the last several years is they wear different uniforms for that game, usually inspired by their branch's military history. Yeah. Which is kind of a neat touch sometime in the next week or so. We'll see the reveals for each game. They're both represented by different apparel companies, so it's become kind of a proxy war for that as well. 2017, in the snow, with Army wearing their, their uniforms that were designed to honor the troops who fought in the Italian Alps in World War II, win when Navy misses a last-second field goal. 
And then 2018, the game we were at was a close game, but not didn't quite come down to the wire. So Army got three straight wins after the 14 years of, uh, of losing, and it's really just a special game. Like I said, if you can take the cold, it's a good game to have gone to. You know, if you can go to it at one point in your life, go go for the march on. Yeah, you got to kill some time and, and be cold, but it's definitely worth it to have done at least once. And uh, if not, it's always a, a great game to watch. So, And I think from an objective point of view, the fact that Army has won a few, even though they lost last year, the fact that they've won a few probably brings a new level of interest on the part of the casual sports fan because who wants to watch a game where they know already know what's going to happen but with army just as competitive if not better than navy over the last several years you can tune in and actually have some questions about what's actually going to happen which is always a good thing well this was a great journey into the history of not just the army navy game but army football in general live as we said from the banks of the hudson uh we hope you enjoyed joining us as always tune in in future weeks as we get into our in memoriam series as we look at all of the athletes who have lost who we've lost and who have left us in the year 2020 check out the show at our facebook page facebook.com slash hello old sports email us at hello old sports at gmail.com and be sure to subscribe like and rate us on your podcast app of choice until next time i'm dan newman and i'm andrew newman goodbye old sports this podcast is part of the sports history network your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport you can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com hey there sports history fan this is arnie chapman aka the football history dude and i wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the sports history network Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, That's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.